I'm Susie Larson. Here's the podcast for Live the Promise. Enjoy the conversation. much for tuning in today. I'm Susie Larson and this is Live the Promise. And we are here to help you engage in a strong and active walk of faith. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hope it's been a really great day for you. Well, if you listen often enough, you know that I talk often about the importance of stewarding our perspective. Stewarding our perspective about what's going on in our own lives, but also what's going on in the culture. You know, a a big grief of my heart is how many Christians maybe are shaking their fist at the darkness, which is not accomplishing anything. Others are numbing out on entertainment because they don't want to face what's happening. But is there a better response for us? I say there is and I know that you believe that as well Uh, we are called to humility we are called to courage we're called to have a divine perspective um, an understanding of the time so we'll know what to do as scripture talks about well my guest today is Michael Anthony and his book is titled a call for courage living with power truth and love in an age of intolerance and fear such an important book we'll get him on in a moment a quick announcement before we hear from him we've got that writers conference on the docket on the calendar we're super super excited about it we've assembled an amazing lineup of a-listers I'm telling you editors, agents, and experts in the field. And if you've got a dream and desire to be published, or you even just maybe wonder about this whole idea of writing, come and join us because it's going to be amazing. We're talking about it now even though it takes place in July because we do have a limited number of spots uh, for one-on-one appointments. And again, that's when the stuff happens. That's when you get a face-to-face opportunity to pitch an idea or to ask an editor or literary agent questions. This is when the stuff happens. When people ask me for writing advice on how to get published, I always say get to a writer's conference. Well, now we've provided an amazing one for you. Last year, our tickets sold out so fast we didn't even know what to do. So we're really pitching it ahead of time, wanting to make sure you get your spot. And it's super affordable. So check it out on the web, NorthwesternChristianWritersConference.com. All right, let me tell you about my guest. We'll get him on the show. Michael Anthony is a popular speaker, blogger, and founder and president of God Factor. He's founder of the National Week of Repentance, the lead pastor of Grace Fellowship in York, Pennsylvania. He and his work have been featured in major publications and news outlets, and he lives with his family in York, Pennsylvania. Michael, nice to meet you. Welcome to the program. Susie, it's great to be on your program, and you're doing a great job, too. Hello to your audience as well. Mm, thank you so very much. And I, I know we share a similar heart and passion to equip the saints to be able to stand yeah. in this day. And to me, it's a very narrow path, and I'm, I think you probably feel that way, too. So I'm looking forward to digging into your book. And I want to tell our listeners, we have five copies. Thanks so much to Thomas Nelson. Five copies of this hardcover book, A Call for Courage, Living with Power, Truth, and Love in an Age of Intolerance and Fear. And Michael doesn't shy away from anything in this book. I wish I had a 1,000 okay. copies. I got Five. So email if you want in on the drawing, live the promise at myfaithradio.com. Put courage in the subject line. Don't forget your mailing address. And Michael, we love to start every show, every day, talking scripture. And you chose Romans 12, 1 through 2. I could read it or you could read it and have you speak to it. What would you prefer? Sure. Uh, my favorite life verse. Um, I'm happy to have you read it if you'd like to. Sure. It's, it's- Key verse for my entire life and ministry. It is fantastic. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That is, there's so much there. I love it, Michael. Speak to why this passage means so much to you. Well, it's, it's obviously the beginning of the whole chapter, Romans chapter 12, and mm-hmm. if you were to continue to read chapter 12, verse 3 and on, 
it's it's the manifestation of what a living sacrifice looks like. That verse was became very powerful. Those two verses, verses one and two, when I was in the Solomon Islands, and I was experiencing God in genuine spiritual awakening, mm. real revival, and that cemented my philosophy of ministry because it's a philosophy of worship. That true worship is a surrendered life. There's no mention of any instruments in that that entire passage, and yet it's all about worship, and that's what God calls us to. He calls us to live surrendered lives of worship. So that's why that those verses are mm. key to me. I Thank like. you. Thank you for sharing. Michael, would you mind telling us a little more about what happened in your personal revival? What was life like leading up to it? What was the catalyst to this breakthrough for you? Well, you know, I had spent a long time, Susie, studying revival history, been to uh, famous sites. Billy Graham's famous site in Los Angeles where the 1950 crusade took place, the Billy Graham Library, D.L. Moody's birthplace, his mm. place of death, uh, Charles West, uh, John Wesley's uh, places, all kinds of things like that. And the thing that frightened me one day is that I was, I recognized I was on my way to being a revival historian. Wow. And I realized I could get to the end of my life and simply know about how God moved in everyone else's lives. And that frightened me. And I began to change my praying. And I said, God, I want to experience you in my personal life and in my ministry, the way I'm reading about in the book of Acts, the way I'm reading about in these, the lives of great people, people of faith that you've used mightily. And then it was not too long after that when I was invited to go to the Solomon Islands, which has a rich history of God moving powerfully there in real revival. And uh, when I went there, I got my doors blown off, uh, encountered God that we would have to take an entire another program or two to do that justice. But I will say this, Susie, in keeping with the theme of my book, A Call for Courage, that's where I understood the significance for the very first time of humility mm. and began what became a lifetime study of what is humility and why does God find it so attractive. One of my favorite topics, Michael, and no wonder I love your content so very much, you know, and I love that you're all about repentance as well. And boy, we're not going to have a voice. We'll have no credibility in this culture if we're um, anything but humble, wouldn't you say? I believe so. I mean, mm. there is no gospel without humility. Amen. Amen. Not possible. Right now, it appears that fear, not courage, is winning the day, even among Christians, wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Fear and also apathy. Yeah. Um, those two are a dangerous cocktail. A lot of Christians are afraid they don't know what to do, and others are too fatigued that they've just given up and think that uh, we just need to hold out for the rapture or the return of Jesus. So talk about courage. How, As you've studied humility and you've studied courage and written a whole book here on a call for courage, what does courage mean to you? How would you define it? Courage is speaking truth and love together or living, modeling truth and love. You know, in, in the divine equation, it's not one or the other, truth or love. It's truth and love. Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter 4. And one of the things that I've found in, in my personal struggles, you know, most of the lessons I've learned in life, I've learned from my own failure. When you look in the Bible and you look at people that God used consistently and powerfully, you always see that that person had a combination of humility and courage. Mm. You never see one without the other. And they were able to live and to speak the truth in love, both of them together. And I was fascinated by that, and that's why I spend a lot of time in the book, A Call for Courage, helping the reader understand 
that these are things that don't need to elude you anymore. There are practical things that you can do every day to develop your courage quotient, to, to learn how to have greater courage, greater humility, and therefore greater impact for the Lord in your personal life, in your family, and in your church. We're definitely going to talk in the coming uh, moments about how to up your courage quotient. I even love that phrase. And, and again, the power of humility. Uh, but a question for you. You know, we as Christians in some ways have earned the stereotype of being judgmental haters. We have. I mean, as far as how a remnant maybe have responded to broken people. But in other ways, it's like we can't even have a contrary opinion without being dubbed a hater. So I want you to speak to both of these issues. But first, speak to the issue of the reactionary Christian, the implications, ripple effect of it, and why that cannot be our MO. Well, I think one of the things that we need to rediscover as Christians, and I talk about this in the book, is um, disagree, agreeing with somebody is one thing. Being nice to somebody, even if we don't share their opinion or they don't share our opinion. doesn't mean that you're condoning their behavior or their philosophy. It just means that you're being nice, meaning kind. And this is what we see in the scriptures, Jesus being kind to sinners. The people that he hit the hardest were the hypocrites, the Pharisees, the uh, leaders of the nation of Israel. And so I think what has happened in American Christianity, I say in the book, that we need a sweeping movement of the Spirit of God, a movement of humility, a movement of repentance. I think that we know what the Bible says we shouldn't do. The, what, what we have not become good at in the 21st century, and I think what needs to be discovered, if not rediscovered, is showing people what we stand for. What does the average evangelical conservative Christian stand for? And I think when all the canons stop firing all of the things that are rightly, understandably so. There's so many issues, don't you think, Susie, mm -hmm. facing us today? Mm -hmm. When those cannons stop firing at the end of the day, we are called to love people, even love our enemies. So that's, that's the number one thing I think that needs to be rediscovered in this awakening, this movement of repentance that needs to happen around the nation. And the the second thing that you wanted to, um, what was the second thing that you wanted me to address? You know, and I think I want to do this after the break about as far as responding to people who insist we're haters when we're not, just because we have a contrary opinion. But let's hold on that, because one more point I want to ask you about regarding this, as far as the reaction. Um, what I hear from, from unbelievers is, is it seems that we react. And it, it, to me, it, it's all about fear. At least it seems that way. So there may be an extreme small remnant of people in different um uh, sectors of society that are pushing an agenda that's not biblical. And in our fear, we're reacting to everybody who lands in that camp. But everybody who lands in that camp might be full people who are broken, who are hurting, who are wondering, Absolutely. how might we treat them? And that's not even to mention the extreme agenda-driven people also need a savior. So somehow we've got to have a different, we've got to show up in a different way, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important to remember that people are not the enemy. Yeah. The ideology that somebody embraces that's contrary to the gospel, that's the enemy. Hmm. There's an important distinction to make. Indeed. Talking to Michael Anthony, he's host of the God Factor radio bro broadcast. His book is titled A Call for Courage, Living with Power, Truth, and Love in an Age of Intolerance and Fear. Powerful book. We've got five copies of this hardcover book. Love for you to email to get in on the drawing. What's the email again? Okay, there it is. Live the promise. Left me for a minute. Live the promise at myfaithradio.com. Put a call for courage in that subject line. Remember the mailing address. And we receive so many emails. We can't reply to each of you. But five of you will one day wake up and you'll have this book in your mailbox. And I'm excited for you to read it. Michael Anthony. More with him in a moment. I was calling 
Really great day. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Susie Larson. This is The Promise, talking to Michael Anthony. He's host of the God Factor radio broadcast, and his book is titled A Call for Courage, Living with Power, Truth, and Love in an Age of Intolerance and Fear. Before the break, Michael, we were talking about, uh, in one way, as Christians, we've earned the stereotype of being judgmental haters just by reacting in our fears, overreacting to people who need Jesus. And on the flip side, though, there are times we're dubbed haters simply because we hold a different worldview than others. What, What advice do you have for those people who are like, I'm truly not a hater. I, I just see things differently than, than the stream of the world right now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think it's a great question. And this is why I wrote a whole book on that. That's what A Call for Courage is about. It's, it's a manual to show people how to live with power, truth, and love in this age of intolerance and fear. And I, I talk about in the book reverse intolerance. You know, tolerance is all the buzz these days, Susie. Hmm. Tolerance, tolerance, tolerance. We need to be tolerant of everybody. Unless you're an evangelical Christian who believes the Bible, mm-hmm. then we don't want to hear from you. Yeah. Sit down and shut up. And so the world is trying to, more than ever in the United States of America, marginalize Judeo-Christian values, the teachings of, of Jesus in the Bible. By the way, they're not just the red-letter words that Jesus taught. His go-to handbook was the Old Testament. People forget that. And so people of faith need to know God does not want you to tolerate intolerance toward me, toward Jesus. So people need to have, have courage to stand up and speak out. And, and I, I empathize. I sympathize with your listeners who have been on the receiving end of being called haters, being called bigots, simply because they believe the Bible and they embrace the Bible. And that's what compelled me to write a call for courage. It is a trumpet blast to the body of Christ in the United States of America to say, hey, in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can live in this day of intolerance and fear with courage and the power that God makes available through his Holy Spirit. So it's a book of hope, encouragement, and a guidebook, a map to show people how they can increase their courage when it's needed most right now. Hmm. Such an important, timely topic. And you say that apathy and fatalism disguises faith among Christians, and especially among Christian leaders, if it's not reversed, will guarantee real persecution. Not merely discomfort, but persecution for people of faith. Say more if you would. Absolutely. You know, in the book I talk about this experience that I had when I was speaking at a well-known Bible college, and I was talking about this very thing that we need to be careful. We don't confuse fatalism, a quesera, sera, whatever will be, will be attitude with faith. And we don't drop back and say, well, God is sovereign. And we're really not talking about the sovereignty of God. We're talking about irresponsibility and just throwing it back on God's lap. And as I was talking about this idea of being faithful to God, a student in the back raised his hand. And they were on the microphone, and he said, uh, yeah, but in the Scriptures we see that God uses persecution, and he actually used persecution to grow the church. Great, great observation. My response was this, if God is sovereign in persecution, why can't he be sovereign in freedom? Amen. We, in the evangelical church, and I believe in the rapture, listeners most likely believe in the rapture, if you're a follower of Jesus, you certainly believe in the return of Jesus, regardless of what your view might be on the rapture. Those are non-negotiable. That's a non-negotiable. But we need to be careful that we're not using the rapture or the return of Jesus as the unintentional escape clauses for 
personal responsibility. Listen, Man. we know that we're going to leave this world one day. The issue is, do I give, can I be very frank here, do I give a care about my neighbor in the meantime? Or has my faith just become about, Jesus, get me out of here? Hunkering down. That's why mm. a movement of repentance needs to happen with the epicenter being the church. Mm. We need to love our neighbor and deeply care. Indeed. You say, if our religious freedom goes away for no other reason than our own foolish disregard for its value, we will have to give an account before Almighty God for our negligence. And that is so huge because any gift he's given us, and I'd say even any trial he allows uh, in our lives is all a stewardship issue. I mean, it is. He's entrusting something to us, and it is a fatalist view to just kind of throw it out. I don't know why it reminds me of many, many years ago when we were moving into our first house. Uh, we were newly married, and a, a couple we were just getting to know from church uh, helped us move, and uh, the husband kept taking our boxes that had breakables, and he would throw them in the in the entryway, and they'd crash, and he was breaking things left and right, and we're they're kind of new friends, so it was sort of awkward, and I'm like, um, can, can you not do that? And he's like, well, it's all going to burn anyway. And I'm like, huh. But it's our stuff, though. <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. Right, but, but in the meantime, right, yeah. right. But I feel like in some ways we throw away these things God has given as gifts that we could leverage to help other people right. as if that's somehow right. a spiritual perspective, and it's just laziness to me, you know? I think it is laziness, and I think we need to realize that it deeply grieves the Lord. It's not just an annoyance. It's deeply grievous. It's like somebody saying, well, I'm going to die anyway, so I'm going to eat a high-fat, low-fiber diet. I'm going to eat potato chips and sour cream and eat all these fattening foods all day long. We're going to die anyway. Well, you might actually die not as soon as you think, and you might have disease before you die because of your poor diet. And in the same way, what if we knew by some miraculous set of circumstances, Jesus was not coming back for 200 years? Would we have the same apathetic attitude toward mm. freedom in the United States of America that many Judeo-Christian people who embrace Judeo-Christian values are having today? Yep. Probably not. You know, one of the chapters in the book is uh, thought police and mind control. And that, you know, maybe we can talk about this a little bit if you'd like to, but right now, the government cannot affect what we think, but if they can prevent us from teaching certain things at a local level or a national level, they will prevent the ability of future generations to actually think things about Jesus and the Bible that we now take for granted. Because if I can't teach it to my children, if we can't teach openly the freedom of speech, then that means people can't believe the things that they would believe if we taught them. Mm. And if they can't believe them, then guess what? By intrusion by a local, a state, or a federal government, there actually can be mind control. You actually can hinder and affect what people actually believe. Very, very frightening time and concerning time in our nation's history, and that's why people need to know how to live with courage and to push back in the power of God. Push back in the power of God. Okay, Michael, we've got about three and a half minutes to our hard break at the bottom. Keep on with this particular subject. What does pushing back in the power of God looks like, look like? What does it not look like? I think, number one, we need to stop trying to get other people to follow a Jesus we're not following. Wow. In the church, we have become, uh, in many cases, unintentionally hypocritical. Hmm. There's an appendix in the book, and usually an appendix is a throwaway thing. People don't want to read the appendix. They think, oh, it's just a uh, fat. But in my book, A Call for Courage, the appendix is 10 signs you might be morphing into a Pharisee. 
And that was a frightening understanding for me, Susie. There are five things that every evangelical Christian has in common with a Pharisee that are good things. And then there are five things that an evangelical Christian can have in common with a Pharisee that are bad things. And by just walking through that appendix, you can find out where you are. Number one is that, you know, Jesus didn't pick any of the 6,000 Pharisees during his day, the scholars, to be one of his 12 apostles. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. And so, number one, we have to be careful. I think there's a, a, a handy amount of repentance that needs to take place, and I'm in the process of, of continuing to do that myself, Susie. I can't emphasize that enough. We're trying to get other people to follow a Jesus we're not following very closely mm. in our churches and in our houses. So that's a huge thing. That's, that's one of the ways we push back is to look in the mirror at ourselves. I need to remove the log in my own eye, and that's before I try to get my neighbor to remove the speck in theirs. And that's one of the reasons why we've lost some of our spiritual or moral authority in the body of Christ to speak to the world on issues. They look at us and they say, well, your divorce rate is about the same as it is in the world. There are people who have church faces and their private lives are totally different. If people in church knew what was happening in their private life, they'd be shocked, you know? And so they don't look at us as the salt and light that we need to be. And this is why I say in the book, that the revival that we need is not out there for the world. It's right in here, in, in the church. True change needs to begin in God's house, not the White House. Super important mm. for us to understand. Oh, that's fantastic and so amazing. Again, I've got about a minute left. You know, it's interesting. I'm sure you've heard this since you're such a proponent for repentance. I am too. I feel like, you know, repent so times of refreshing may come. And I think people, I, but I've heard there's a whole group of Christians who are super defensive about repentance as if to say, and they've said this, so we don't have to repent anymore. And I'm like, yes. if you're married, you, apologize if you've done something and you go into a deeper place of intimacy as a couple. Why wouldn't you honor the relationship enough to, to come to God when you know you need to and acknowledge your need, you know? Uh, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. It you is. know, humility is simply agreeing with God Amen. about what He already knows. Hmm. That's what repentance is. I want to dig more into Jesus that. Jesus comes on the... He, humility is agreeing with God about what He already knows. Hmm. If you're not willing to do that, you are rejecting repentance as a lifestyle. Mm. And we cannot follow Jesus and take up our cross daily, as Jesus said, if humility is not at the epicenter. Repentance is not at the epicenter. Boy, there's so much more I want to ask you about that. Michael Anthony is my sure. guest today, host of God Factor Radio Broadcast, title of his really great book, A Call for Courage, Living with Power, Truth, and Love in an Age of Intolerance and Fear. So how do we walk in courage and humility? How do we push back on the darkness? How do we love people who think differently than us and still influence our culture? There's a way. There's a way to do this. Michael Anthony writes all about it. We'll be back in a minute. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Susie Larson. This is Live the Promise, talking to Michael Anthony. His book is titled A Call for Courage, Living with Power, Truth, and Love in an Age of Intolerance and Fear. Such a timely word. We've got five copies. I'd love to get one into your hands. If you want to enter the drawing, just do it this way. Email livethepromise at myfaithradio.com. Put A Call for Courage in your subject line, and don't forget the mailing address. And, Michael, before the break, you were saying one of the ways we push back... Um, 
on it, really um, the darkness and even the unbiblical current of the, our days is to experience our own personal revival, is to line up our lives with Christ because we are not, as you say, following the Christ that we professed. And um, the idea of even looking at the inconsistencies in our life, that God wants his worshipers to worship him in spirit and in truth. I mean, the ripple effect of that is staggering if you think about it. Because if we're living one way and talking another, unbelievers will spot that a mile away, won't they? Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially the millennial generation, which always gets a bum rap these days, Susie, yeah. if I can be so honest. We, and the, who are not millennials, we can learn a lot from their desire for authenticity. It's, it's very humbling. And, you know, by the way, I wanted to say thank you for your generosity. The idea of giving away... Uh, a call for courage to your audience. Thank you for that kind of mm. selflessness because this is really, you know, a call for courage. The book, it's not about a book. It's about a movement that I hope that the book sparks, a movement of repentance, a movement of the unleashed, unhindered power of God in lives and families and churches around the nation. Mm. Uh, I mean, it is powerful. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit, he's a gentleman. He doesn't force himself on us. He moves in power when we make the decision to remove the kinks in the garden hoses of our lives. You know, that's mm-hmm. what it's about. Oh, boy, that's so good. You write that big changes begin on a small scale when one willing, courageous person at a time dares to, to ask themselves, have I in any way limited what, a, what I'm willing to do for God? I mean, so not only do we get in a position where we humble ourselves, we say, what in me, Lord, needs to go? What in me is... is um, conveying a contrary message to your love and your hope and we do the work i say before god and say have your way in me but then we dare this is a gutsy question have you in any way limited what you're willing to do for god how has god posed that question to you and what kind of courage has he called from you when when you dare to answer that with him yeah that's a great question thank you for asking it i have a good friend of mine jeff who's a very successful businessman and his father challenged him with that question if you're any way are you in any way uh um, unwilling to do something for God? Um, have you limited God in any way? And uh, I think that's a great question for your listeners to continually ask themselves. Am I limiting you, God? Is there anything that I've told you I will not do? Mm. Wow. Is there anything I've told you that I will not do? You know, I've found in my own life that it's not the 99% of my life that's firing on all eight cylinders that is going to present a hindrance for me in walking deeper with the Lord. It's that 1% that one area of my life that I say, no, 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 Jesus, you can't have that. Those are the, that's the area that can hold back the other 99%. And this is why I think the, the fundamental calling of Jesus again, right, is take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I'm meek, I'm gentle, I'm lowly. The fundamental characteristic that we should all be shooting for in our lives as disciples is to be like Jesus in character. And somehow... And all the craziness and busyness, don't you think it's ironic we're living in a golden age of church planting in the United States right mm-hmm. now? Never been this many churches planted in, in, in so, so rapidly so in such a geographic expanse before in history. And yet somehow in all of the busyness and craziness, and I'm speaking as a pastor, we've forgotten the kernel in the center of the gospel, which is Christ-like character. Amen. Jesus was perfectly humble and amazingly courageous. Don't you think so, Susie? I mean, you're not going to find anybody more courageous than Jesus was, and Jesus is. And yet his humility, same thing, powerful. So I want to be like that. I want to be like my Savior. Mm. 
Amen. And I don't, I don't know about you, but you know, he, the scripture says, you know, he learned obedience through the things he suffered. And I feel like we are given all kinds of opportunities to become Christ-like, but it seems that we're so blessed that we've become entitled. So when people step on our toes, our reaction is that our fist goes up and we, we kind of try to, to um, strike our own defense. But I'm thinking, what if we really saw that God allows certain things in our lives to make us more like him. And then we ask him, now open my eyes for those you came to love and save so that I can be reflect your heart. Because whatever we're suffering, there's an unbelieving world suffering ten times worse, I think, because they're doing it apart from Christ. You know what I'm saying? Where I feel like we make it our goal to simply get relief from our trials versus going, have your way, make me like you in this, and then show me who you want me to bless. I mean, what would happen in the body of Christ if we got so gutsy in our prayers? Oh, my goodness. What would happen in our marriages? You know, I I found it amazing that God could speak through Balaam's donkey, Hmm. but he can't speak through our spouses. You know, if God could speak through an ass, using King James language here, okay, Mm -hmm. certainly he can speak through someone's spouse. And so that's what a humble person will do. A humble person will say, Lord, I don't want to beat the donkey. I don't want to beat the messenger. However you want to deliver the truth to me, my commitment to you, Lord, is when you show me what the truth is, I've already said yes to you so that I don't have to have a debate and an argument with you. See, that's what humility is. Humility is, Lord, teach me your ways. I am now looking for your voice. I'm now looking for your message through whatever messengers you might send my way. If we approached our marriages alone that way, instead of getting our backs up and getting defensive right? Mm. We approached our ministries, and I'm speaking as a pastor, when somebody provides input, and we began to ask the question, Lord, what might you be trying to tell me through this? There's a tremendous freedom in that. You'll never be more free than when you're walking in humility. Amen. There's tremendous freedom there. I love this question, and it's gutsy. Your whole book is gutsy, but here's an excerpt that just speaks to that. Are you guilty of strong-arming and bullying people who don't share your views about sexuality, or do you express yourself with clear love and compassion for those who disagree and toward those who may be struggling with their sexual identity? And are you as concerned about the sins of pride, disunity, gossip, slander, and family neglect in your own life and the lives around you as you are about sexual sin? I mean, to me, that cuts right through the fog of everything, Michael, that question. love for you just to speak to why you wrote that and your heart behind it. Yeah, because I think many of us in the conservative evangelical community, and I am one, we have these pet peeve sins. Yeah. We have these, we, we say there's no such thing as that. The only unpardonable sin is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. But then practically, we don't live that way. Somebody is, is struggling with a sexual issue, that becomes the taboo sin, the, the thing that we really have a difficult time forgiving and releasing. And yet at the same time, when you look at the, the biblical passages that talk about sexual immorality being a big deal, they're often sandwiched right in between of a list of other sins, idolatry, greed, gossip, slander. Mm. So in God's eyes, every one of those sins are sins that Jesus went to the cross for. So we need to make a distinction. Maybe you're, you're listening right now, and you haven't, done, you haven't been very good at this. I can empathize with this, because I had to do a lot of soul-searching, Susie, before I sat down and wrote A Call to Courage. And even after, and now I have to... That, that's a new standard in my life, you know? There's a difference between the radical LGBTQ community that has an agenda that wants us to celebrate, not just tolerate. They want us to celebrate. Uh, ask, you know, um, Masterpiece Cake Shop about that, the former owners of that, right? There's a difference between addressing someone in the radical LGBTQ community and somebody who 
is struggling, trying to find their way, needs the hope of Jesus, and is looking for answers that will set them free. And if you're listening today and you haven't made a good distinction between those two, if you've lumped everybody in that same camp, here's a great opportunity for a little bit of repentance, a little bit of humility to take a step back and to realize, listen, Jesus loved the woman caught in adultery. He was known as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So who are your tax collectors and sinners today? We're going to go where Jesus went, and he's going to be where we're going to find tax collectors and sinners. Mm. Very, very important to understand and to make sure that our lives are going where Jesus would be found today. Amen, amen, amen. You know, as you're talking, I'm thinking of a passage in Ezekiel, and I'm sure you're well familiar with it, but it says Sodom's sins um, were pride, was was it gluttony? Pride, apathy, and gluttony while the poor and needy suffered outside her door. Now, Sodom, we always think of known for its sexual sin, but pride, thinking more of myself than I ought to. Gluttony, consuming more than I actually need. Apathy, turning uh, a blind eye to those who suffer while the poor and needy suffer outside her door. When I first got a hold of that years ago, Michael, talk about repentance. And I was thinking, again, because we are, we're so self-righteous about certain sins, but you think, have you ever thought more of yourself than you ought to? I'm thinking, yes. Have you ever consumed more than you should have you ever seen somebody in need and walked the other way quickly while those suffer right at our gate you know that in itself to me can put us back in a perspective to say have mercy oh god now let me see the support and needy and give what i have i mean i'm on a soapbox here but come on preach it preach it bring <laughs> it bring yeah. the heat just, you know what yeah. i find Susie, I, I, i'm every every day i am shocked at how i am more concerned about myself than other people. Mm. Me too. I, I, um, I need Jesus. And as I get older, I realize, Mike, you don't even understand how deeply you need Jesus. Mm. But don't you feel like the more you walk in that, the more you, you experience of him, what you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's why I say there's tremendous freedom that comes. Mm. There's, you know, there's a difference between being unworthy and being worthless. And this yeah. is what I think your listeners need to understand. We're not saying, uh, hey, you're worthless. I'm not saying, you know, that in God's sight that I'm worthless. No, Jesus did, wouldn't have died for junk. Yeah. Somehow, I am worth, Susie, you're, you're worth, if you're listening today, you are worth a great deal to God. None of us is worthy of the price that was paid to give us salvation. But that's different, being unworthy from being worthless. We are worth a great deal. And that in itself is humbling. Mm. It's, it's, it's inspiring. We're going to pause here and take our last break. When we come back, Michael, uh, one of my favorite stories in the book is a story about your neighbors, Devin and Mark. And I, I honestly almost wept through that story. I was so moved by your and your wife's heart and just the, the friendship and, and what God did there. So when we come, making me, making oh, me get choked up My now. goodness. It's just what a model, though, of what God wants for us. So if you don't mind sharing that story, talking to Michael Anthony, he's host of the God Factor radio broadcast. Check him out. And then title of his book, Call for Courage, Living with Power, Truth, and Love in an Age of Intolerance and Fear. We'll be back in a minute. He started something good. I Wow, thanks so 
so much for tuning in today. I'm Susie Larson. This is Live the Promise, having a fantastic conversation with Michael Anthony. He's host of God Factor Radio Broadcast, and he's written an amazing book titled A Call for Courage, Living with Power, Truth, and Love in an Age of Intolerance and Fear. And I know a lot of you hop in the car right about now, so you didn't catch any of the previous part of our conversation. And so in this case, I'm challenging you, asking you, once the live show is over, go back and catch the whole podcast. This is a conversation you're not going to want to miss. So, Michael, before the break, I was setting up the idea that you've got these neighbors, Devin and Mark, and I'd love for you, if you don't mind, give us context, talk about that relationship and the significance of it. Yeah, my wife and I moved into a neighborhood and uh, didn't know anybody, any of the neighbors that would be next to us. We moved in next to a gay couple, Devin and Mark, and for the first week, we were concerned about some stereotypes and they were concerned because a preacher moved in next door. How about they had that? their own stereotypes, right? We each had our stereotypes, mm-hmm. and um, through the course of a number of years, four or five years, we got to know each other, had conversations, found some commonality, and yet did not compromise on the truths and the core convictions that Janet and I have as evangelical, conservative Christians who believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. So... We held fast to the truths of what we believe the Bible defines as marriage between one man and one woman for one lifetime and commitment before God. And yet we also did not compromise on our love for them as two individuals who were created in the image of God as much as we were in far. And they actually became really good friends with you guys. I mean, you helped each other, you laughed together. I mean, there was a very yes. mutual affection, I would say, in this friendship, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just... Definitely an affection. They actually called me Mikey. Hmm. So that, uh, you have to know me to call me Mikey. I not let you do that. That's, That's right. really That's wonderful. Right. Well, you knew the day would come when there was more of a, of a tipping point and a defining moment of your relationship. Tell us what happened. Right. I go into this in great detail in one of the chapters called Speaking Truth in Love in my book, A Call for Courage. What happened was Devin and Mark knew of these two children who came from a home where they were neglected and they needed adopted parents. They needed to be adopted into a family and they wanted to adopt them. So they called me up on the phone. They said, hey, we want to adopt these two children. Would you come over and pray for us that the door opens up for us to be able to adopt them? Now, being a conservative evangelical who believes the Bible is the inspired word of God that we just talked about and the definition of marriage, um, I had an immediate conflict of interest where I cannot ask God to bless something that I don't believe he ordained. At the same time, these are two individuals who we had a friendship with, and Janet and I genuinely loved them, and they loved us. So this was a moment of um, kingdoms in conflict. And so I walked across the yard, our yard with Janet, hand in hand, rang rang the doorbell, they opened up the door went into the very same living room, dining room, kitchen, where we had meals together, laughed before. They said, we want to know if you'll pray for us, that God would bless us and open up the door for us to adopt these children. And I said, well, do you want to know my opinion? Hmm. And they paused and looked at each other, and they said, I'm getting a little emotional as I'm telling you this story, I'm sorry. Hmm. They said, we know what you believe, Mikey. We just wanted to ask you. I said, well, guys, I said, you know that we love you. They said, we know you do, Mike. 
I said, you know, we've had meals together, laughs, belly aching type of laughs. I said, that I believe that the Bible teaches that marriage is between one man and one woman for one lifetime, and that the best chance for these children to grow up and to learn the love of Jesus is to be with a loving heterosexual couple. So I can't pray for you that God would bless the two of you together as a couple, but I can pray for God's best for the children and for God's best for each of you. And all four of us had tears in our eyes. And Janet and I prayed for them, and we hugged each other, and we are still friends to this day. It's an example of truth and love coming together. That's what Courageous Humility is all about, and that's what A Call for Courage, my book, is about, shows people how to live with that kind of courageous humility. You know, and it really is a testament to Devin and Mark as well and the equity that you have in that friendship um, that they would they would remember the whole context of your relationship because yeah. this was a big thing for them. And so for them to be humble yeah. enough to to receive your beliefs, first of all, to honor your beliefs, to want your prayer. I mean, they honor your beliefs enough to value your prayer, right? But then to honor right. your convictions and and stay in a relationship. I think on both sides of this conversation, that shows some exceptional heart, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's a great example for what's happening in our nation. You know, you can disagree with somebody and be kind to them. Just because you're kind to somebody doesn't mean you condone their behavior, you condone their beliefs. Jesus was kind and loving to people all the time while he was judging their sin. And so if you're a Christian listening right now, you can take a sigh of relief and realize that you're not compromising on biblical beliefs simply by being kind to somebody. You can learn how to speak the truth without compromise and be compassionate and loving toward people. You know, there's such thing. I mean, I sort of made up the phrase, at least I think I did, unless I heard it and didn't realize it, but um, Bible snobs and Christian bullies, where there are, are those who are, uh, they've taken it upon themselves to lambast and even assassinate character of a Christian who's trying to do what you're saying to do. Do you know what I'm saying? So if they're right. kind to someone, yes. even over like Twitter, if they're kind and they respond kindly, then suddenly the arrows mm-hmm. fly at them because it's like they're like, instead of saying choose this day, they're saying choose sides. And I think those are two different things. Choosing yeah. this day is a different thing than mm-hmm. what they're mm-hmm. asking. And I want you to speak to that because it is such a volatile atmosphere right now that People, that's one of the reasons I think people are numbing out or hiding because they don't want to be in the line of fire because I think that the angst and anger is coming from Christians as well as those who have anti-biblical agendas. Absolutely. I think in many cases, many Christians are trying to get other people to follow a Jesus they're not following themselves. Exactly. And this is one of the reasons why there needs to be humility in God's house. Never mind the White House for a moment, okay? Humility, the movement of courageous humility that needs to happen in the nation, in the nation needs to begin with God's people. And number two, you know, um, it's important for people to understand that you can love somebody and disagree with them, or other people can disagree with you, and you can be kind and you can be civil through the whole process. You really can. And so it's not just what we say to people. It's how we say it. It's how we say it. That's important. So I would encourage people listening right now to always remember that the most loving thing you can do for somebody is tell them the truth. 
when somebody calls you a hater, when somebody calls you a bigot, narrow-minded, you remember that the most loving thing you can do to somebody is tell them the truth. And actually, the most hateful thing you could do to somebody is withhold the truth when you know what it is. Because Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. People are set free by the truth. They're put into bondage when they don't know the truth. So mm. as a Christian, when you know the truth, you, you can have courage to humbly and lovingly speak it, because that's the way you love people. Michael, I feel like we've got so far to go, and I know this is why the, the conviction behind your book, A Call for Courage, we've got so far to go because we've got to wrestle our own fears to the ground. We've got to learn what it means to lead with humility, repentance, and love. That has to start in our own hearts so that we have the courage to speak the truth in love. I mean, you think of Jesus. It, there was not a fear of man, and that's why he was willing to be known as a friend of sinners. we just got a couple minutes left, but I feel like your capacity to do what you're doing is because you're leading with love, and then you can speak the truth. Do you know what I'm saying? Where I feel like we are, we are ready, shoot, and then aim. So there's so much that needs to change so that we can get some credibility back. You know, Susie, you're making me get emotional here, and you're not allowed to do that. Um, <laughs> you know, m- most of the lessons I've learned in life I've learned through my own failures. And I have had to spend a lot of time with sit-downs with Jesus where he would lovingly take me to the woodshed and show me my attitudes wrong about Mm. people, my attitudes wrong about the world. And I began to realize that we become like the people we spend the most time with. It's always true. And so Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I'm meek, I'm gentle, I'm lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. If I'm spending time with the Lord, I will become like him in character. That's the objective of every disciple it should be. We should become like Jesus in character. So it's God's work is always from the inside out. So the person who's listening right now, there's hope for you. If you can't, don't focus on your behavior. Focus on your time with Jesus. Yeah. Spend time with him and let him do the work in you so that you become a great ambassador for Christ where you too speak the truth in love with what I call courageous humility. That's the greatest need in the body of Christ today. It's the greatest need in your life. It's the greatest need in our nation, Susie. We need a, a, a revolution, second American revolution starting in the church of courageous humility. I and I hope that... Mm. I hope my book blesses people uh, in that regard. Well, again, you make the case uh, in the book for sure, and I could not agree with you more. As we get ready to wrap here, Michael, I'm wondering if I could have you pray for our uh, Christians, American Christians. You know, people, Mm -hmm. other countries are sending missionaries to our nation because of the state we're in. So pray for us, if you would, so that we could Mm -hmm. live in this way. I sure would be an honor, Susie. Mm -hmm. If you're listening, you can join in as well. Lord... Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for your goodness to us, and we know, Lord, that whatever we see in the nation being the needs, you see them even deeper, and your your love and concern for the people in the United States is deep and, and undying. We ask, Lord, that your good, pleasing, and perfect will would be poured out on the United States of America, that we in the church would rediscover, or perhaps discover for the first time, the importance of speaking the truth in love as we spend time with you and invite you to transform our lives. So Lord, rather than us asking to send a revival in the nation, we ask that you'd send a revival, a true spiritual awakening in each of our lives. Let it begin with us and that'll overflow into the nation. So we're thankful to you, Lord. We trust you and we rely 
totally upon you. In Jesus' name. Father, I want to add, pray a blessing for Michael. I pray, God, uh, that you would pour out your spirit on he and his dear wife in a fresh new way. I pray for eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart, a courageous, humble heart to do your will. I pray you give him vision for the landscapes, the places you want to send him, the ways you want to use him. I pray, God, you keep him far from accusing tongues and keep him near to the tender heart that wants to know more about you. I pray he would have a tongue of the learned, a tongue of the wise. He'd know the word that sustains the weary. I pray he would speak and captives would be set free. Lord, thank you for this man of God and thank you for our time today. We love you so much. We honor you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Michael, please come back and join us again, okay? It would be my pleasure, Susie. What an honor. You're doing a great work, and I'm so thankful for you. Thanks yeah. for the privilege of being on your program. Now, the feeling is mutual. Well, you've been listening to Live the Promise. I'm Susie Larson. In just a bit, you'll find a podcast of today's program up on our website at MyFaithRadio.com. Today, I was talking to Michael Anthony. Check out his book, A Call for Courage, Living with Power, Truth, and Love in an Age of Intolerance and Fear. And remember this, the Lord wants you to last long and finish strong. He's the one who keeps you strong to the end. Have a great day. for listening to this conversation from Live the Promise. These podcasts are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend. Help grow the impact of the show. Also, if you would, take a moment to subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player, and then never miss a show.